Over on page three of your bulletin, you'll find our scripture text for this morning and an outline of our of our message. We've been studying the book of Ephesians, and we're now making the transition into chapter five. Uh, you, you might know that as Paul originally wrote Ephesians, there were no chapter divisions, even even verse divisions. Uh, and so we don't want to think of chapter five as something completely different, cold break from chapter four. In many ways, he's continuing the very train of thought that he began in chapter four. In chapter four, the, the theme is the walk of the Christian, uh, our, our walk, our everyday lifestyle uh, that he says again and again is to is to flow out of God's saving work in Christ. God's saving work in Christ. That was chapters 1 to 3. Uh, and then chapters 4 to 6 is, well, walk accordingly. Uh, walk strengthened by that. Walk saved by that work of Christ. It's not walk to earn God's favor, but God's favor has been won and purchased in Christ, and therefore walk in that newness of life. And in fact, that language of walk is one that Paul repeats throughout this section. He began chapter 4 uh, by, by talking about it, as, uh, as he said that we are to walk in humility and gentleness. In the middle of chapter 4, he says we are to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then as we work into chapter 5, we'll see again he uses the language of walk. Yeah. Now it's walk in love. And it's that same thrust, though, not walk to earn God's love, but because God's love has been purchased and freely given, we are to then, uh, therefore, walk in that love. So let's read God's word, and then we'll pray together. It's Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now let's pray. Father, it is only by your mercy, only by the strength and, and work of your Holy Spirit that we could understand and be impacted and delighted and, and transformed by your word. So we call upon you. Use this word, Lord, this scripture, and the rest of your word, Lord, to encourage and strengthen your people, uh, Lord, today, even here in this place. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so as you, as you think about the various people that God has brought into your life over the years, can you pick out an example of an individual who you have to conclude this person has loved me, and they loved me well. Can you, can you pick out a person? Can you then picture what, what that love was like? Uh, how you knew and know to this day that they loved you and loved you well. Um, what that love looked like in day-to-day -day life. Was it, was it big and dramatic or slow and steady? Um, what did that love uh, embody? And then, how did that love impact you? Well, what kind of encouragement, transformation, strength uh, did it give? Uh, someone you have to conclude has loved you and loved you well. Of course, 
we could do the flip side if we wanted to. We could probably pick out examples of individuals who have not really loved us well. And we could think about what that lack of love looked like and how that impacted us. But in both scenarios, we quickly get the idea that love is a very big deal. It has a big impact. Uh, it has it has a, a big effect. It, it's something that is important, significant, powerful. Love's a big deal. And love is an even bigger deal to God. Think for a minute about how much God says about love in his word. Even just go to the life of Jesus and, and how much Jesus talked about love and, and how much of a big deal he made out of it. So, for example, Jesus saying that the entire law of God, uh, all of God's commandments can be basically summarized, boiled down to love. Love God, love your neighbor. That's a summary of the entire will of God for our lives. Uh, or Jesus saying something like this, that this is how the world is going to know uh, that you and I belong to Jesus, by how we love one another. This is two quick examples of Jesus. Love's a big deal to us, an even bigger deal to God. And here we're confronted as Paul moves into this new chapter uh, with, a, with a command to love. Not just one time, uh, not just at a big dramatic occasion, he says, walk in it. Uh, walk in love. An ongoing lifestyle that's the, the theme of our days. Uh, and it's to be such that we are copying God's love for us. Which really is again and again the, what scripture comes down to. That if you really want to understand what love both is and how in the world we could ever attempt to, to live in it, we start not with ourselves and what we think love is or what we would like love to be or what we might attempt. Where we start is God and his love for us. There's where we get the picture of what it is. There's where we get the strength and the motivation to actually begin to live it out. We start with God's love for us. And then it just becomes an imitation and a, and a, and a transformation from there. Right? Paul says it right here on the surface. Right? We're to be imitators of God as beloved children. What we're doing is mimicking him, imitating him. Uh, that we're to walk in love as Christ loved us. So where we need to begin is with God's love for us in Christ. So that's what we're going to uh, begin and spend a lot of time on uh, because everything flows from there. Uh, beginning with uh, how God has loved us. So be imitators of God. Okay, well, how has God loved us? Um, well, you could break it down into a number of different aspects, and I've tried to list them there in, the, in your outline. The first helpful question to, to, uh, to talk about, to ask is, well, who is it that God loves? Who is it that God loves? One of the things that Scripture tells us again and again is that God loves the unlovely. God loves the unlovely. To use Jesus' language, God loves his enemies. You might remember that passage where Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's, he's encouraging us and disciples to love our enemies. And in the midst of that, he gives the, the reason. He gives where it comes from. He says, 
that you might be sons of your Father in heaven. Right? You know that? Well, let me do a quick read to you. He says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his, rains rise, his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Right? Here, here we're talking about God's general love, for all of humanity, every single solitary person, Jesus, very clearly, God loves them. And how do you know? He sends his son on all of them. The warmth and life-giving sun and rain. Everybody gets it. Even the worst of the worst of the worst. They do. God's love for not the, the best, God's love even for the worst. He loves his enemies. There we're talking about God's general love. God loves uh, the unlovable. Uh, but we can also then narrow it down to God's particular saving love. God setting his rescuing love upon his people. Uh, and there too, it's not God loving the all-stars. It's God loving unlovable people. Well, so we read of that very specifically in, in our passage in 1 John this morning. Uh, verse 10, here's what John said. He said, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. So who is it that God loves with this, this saving, rescuing love? It's not those who first... Uh, Prove their worthiness by loving God to a sufficient degree. No, it's, it's not that we love God. It's that he loved us. And then you get that part at the end, and sent his son to be a propitiation. Uh, we'll talk a little more about that. This is the saving work of Christ, taking our, our the wrath of God in our place. But think about who, therefore, John is thinking about us, those who are rescued. It's not God going after and loving those who are really quite impressive. Uh, it's God loving those who are such sinners, so lost, so unable to rescue themselves that it would take the Son of God himself laying down his life in order to rescue them. God loving people that bad. That's us. So who is it that God loves? Uh, not the lovely, not the worthy, not the good. God loving the unlovely, even his enemies, even us. Which already begins to transition into how God loves. We got the who, but let's talk a little more specifically about, about the how and kind of trying to break it down here. Now, the first thing we could say from Scripture is that it is a great love. Now, this is something that the book of Ephesians has, has been bringing up again and again, and little refresher on things we talked about months and months ago. So Ephesians uh, chapter 2, it says God, uh, God rescues us. We're dead in our sins, but God makes us alive. Why? Well, Ephesians 2 says it's because of the great love with which he loved us. The great love with which he loved us. Earlier in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul said this is the love that began before the foundation of the world. In love, God, uh, God, God sets his affection on his people, commits to rescuing and adopting them. His love goes back before the foundation of the world. And of course, 
It goes all the way forward. Uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, God says his love is an everlasting love. Start to get the idea? It's great. Eternity to eternity. Uh, Romans 8, add this element, that his love for us is so great that there's nothing in the whole world that can separate us from it. That it's so great in the sense of powerful, gripping, that God sets his love on you. There ain't nothing that's going to tear you away from it. Remember that passage in Romans 8? Neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present, things to come. He keeps going and then finally says, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ. It's great. Eternity to eternity, not a single thing in all the world that could separate us from it. A great love. But it's also an acting love. An acting love. Uh, how do you how do you know that God loves you? And maybe this is something you wrestle with. I'm not sure God loves me, or I doubt it, or I wonder about it. Uh, you could broaden it out and say, well, how do you know that anybody loves you? How, how do you really how do you really know? Uh, it, it is is love just this kind of ethereal thing that kind of floats out there, and you can't quite be sure of it. Uh, you know, the, the old thing where you take a flower and you pick the petals off, right? He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Is, is that how we're to think about God? Yeah, never quite sure. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Uh, is that how we're to think about the love of God? Well, Scripture again and again makes it clear that love is something you can see. Because real love acts. And the supreme example of that is God's love and his love for us. And again and again, uh, Scripture communicates, here's how we know he loves us. He sends his son to die for us. And so we have from our, our, our Ephesians 5 verse there, right? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. His, his love walked his love, you could see it. He gave himself up. He died on the cross for us. Or 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Um, or that verse we read a few minutes ago from 1 John 4. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You can know God's love and see God's love because he, he acted it out. In fact, it's the most powerful, amazing, shocking, draw-dropping action that the world has ever seen. Uh, that the creator God himself uh, comes to this earth to lay down his life for the very people who have rebelled against him. That's the work of Christ on the cross. And, and scripture says, that's how you know. Did Christ really die? There, there it is. Which is already getting us into the next point, which is Christ's love is a sacrificial love. Um, uh, well, Paul uses the language of sacrifice, doesn't he? Now, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Maybe you hear some of the Leviticus language there. We've done a few sermons on Leviticus and sacrifices. 
Right? Remember the sacrifices? They had this pleasing aroma to the Lord, and, and there was right sacrifice. Not in just the general sense, but in the very specific, yeah, there was a spotless animal and the worshiper brought it and the animal was killed in place of the worshiper and it died and was offered up to God, a sacrifice. And here's, uh, here's Paul drawing on that very Old Testament language and saying, here's Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. That, that he is the ultimate spotless one, sinless one, uh, and yet he lays down his life. He lays down his life for us, uh, to rescue us. Right? We, we've read several times that verse from 1 John 4, uh, that, which talked about his, his life given as a propitiation. It's kind of a fancy biblical theological word, uh, but it's an important word because the idea of propitiation is uh, a sacrifice that God, uh, that a sacrifice from God, that turns aside the wrath of God. A sacrifice that turns aside the wrath of God. The wrath of God that we deserve for our sin, right? We're the unlovely ones. We've rebelled against God. Uh, But here is the work of Christ coming in as our substitute so that the wrath of God, the judgment of God, falls on him instead of us for all who believe. And that is what Scripture says That's what the love of God looks like and what the love of God does. Uh, It's so great uh, and has such a powerful effect. It is the creator himself coming, walking this earth, uh, bearing our sins uh, in place on the cross to turn aside the wrath of God so there's none left for us. This was the eternal plan. Uh, This was how how God could, uh, could, could love and bring us to himself. The Son would, would bear the guilt of our sin. And that's, that's love, Scripture says. And that's what love does. Uh, it's God's love for us. It rescues. It's sacrificial, both in the sense of turning aside the wrath of God, but clearly sacrificial also in the sense of costly. It cost God something to love us. The highest price that could ever be paid. Another important aspect here is that God's love is a a family love. A family love. Did you catch that language in the first verse of Ephesians 5? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Beloved children. Maybe we could put it this way. God's love for you, believer, is more than just a really big GoFundMe donation. You you, you know how these things work, the GoFundMe campaigns. uh, Somebody sends it out or emails it or social media post or whatever. Uh, Maybe it's an acquaintance or maybe it's somebody you've never heard of, but you get this, and usually it's a really big need. Somebody's house burned down, they lost everything, insurance isn't going to cover it. Can you please help? And maybe you, moved by this, you decide to to help, to make a donation there online. And maybe it's even a really sacrificial donation. You donate a lot, and it costs you something. It hurts in your own own budget and savings because this is such a need. It costs you a lot, and so you tap, 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 click, 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 and off goes the donation. 
That's great. That's wonderful. That's a, a loving thing to do. But here is, here is part of what we want to make sure we understand with God's love for us. It's so much bigger than God just giving this really nice, big, fat GoFundMe donation to you. It's God bringing you into his very family. And so if you were to kind of push the illustration, it's you hear this story about this person who's lost everything. Uh, well, actually, it turns out they, they lit their own house on fire and burned their own house. Uh, but you don't, just, you don't just send a little donation. What you do is you invite them into your home. You build them a luxury suite on your home. Now, bring them into your home. Actually, you adopt them into your family. You write them into your will. So that now, they are as much heirs as the natural-born children of yours. And you say, you are now family. Everything I have is yours, you say. That begins to get at the idea of what Christ does for us, of what God's love for us looks like. Right? The very people who don't deserve this now have not just gotten a, here's a little help from a distance, uh, but God draws us, brings us into his own household. Right? That's, we weren't that by nature. By nature, Paul said in Ephesians, we're children of wrath, not children of God. But he brings us in. He says, now, because of my great love for us, you are beloved children. Sons, daughters, that's love. That's God's love. One, one final point about God's love, and then we'll begin to transition and apply it, which is God's love is a holy agenda love. A holy agenda love. One of my old professors, Dave Pallison, liked to say that God's love for us is better than unconditional. Better than unconditional. So usually when you're talking about love, that term can get, get popped in there. Unconditional love. Different people can mean different things, so if somebody brings it up, it's always worth asking, hey, well, what do you mean by that? But maybe you could say something like this, unconditional love, someone loves you regardless of where you are. That's good. Um, but God's love is actually better than unconditional. So God's love for us, he sets his love on us, he loves us exactly where we are. No matter how far away from him, no matter how deep the pit we've dug for ourselves, <laughs> God loves us exactly where we are. But he loves us so much, he won't leave us where we are. See how much better that is? He loves us right where we are, but he loves us so much, he won't leave us where we are. Can you think of that personally? Um, some of you have very clear memories of, of life before Christ, life before uh, the Lord rescued you. And, and you, can, you can think of what that was like, that place where you were, um, the, the trajectory you were on, uh, the kind of things that were in your head and in your life. And, and, and there was God. He loved you exactly in that place, right? No matter how bad it was, he loved you right there where you were. But isn't it a wonderful, beautiful thing that God loved you so much that he would love you where you are, but he wouldn't leave you where you were? 
And so I look back in my own life and think, well, I'm glad God didn't leave me there. And I look how far uh, he's, he's brought me by his grace, undeserved. Uh, and we can kind of look up and think, and you know, there's God in heaven saying, yeah, you, you, thought, you thought you've come so far. God's just getting warmed up with us. Uh, he's going to take us so far. But isn't that, isn't that his mercy? Right? How awful would it be if God loved us but just kind of left us there? But God loves us so much. He loves us where we are to bring us not just a little bit better, but until we have the spotless savor of his son, until we are like Jesus and holiness and righteousness and goodness. Uh, it's the, we could say, holy agenda love that God has for his people. So you kind of put all this together. God's love for us then sets the stage for everything else. Uh, first and foremost, it means God's love for us is our hope and our only hope. As we think about this life, as we think about the life to come, as we think about our relationship with God, our only hope is God's love for us. And so there's the, the opportunity to, to just ask that challenging question. Is that my only hope? The only thing I'm really trusting in, in this life and the life to come, uh, is that not my love for him couldn't do it. Uh, not my goodness to others, that's not enough either. But my only true hope uh, in life and death is Christ's, God's love for me in Christ. His saving, sacrificial, uh, bearing my wrath on the cross love, that's my only hope, and I'll cling to it. It starts there, but then it flows out. And so that love being our only hope, then that love becomes our, our motivation and our strength for loving others. Right? God's love is our only hope, and it's our rescue. And all of a sudden, more and more, we, we want others to know that love. Uh, we want to we copy that love. That love is so beautiful and so, and so transforming and so wonderful. We, we want to live it out. We want to embody it. We want to mimic it, imitate it. Um, it becomes our strength, all right? If you're going to imitate God's love, as we're going to get into, it's going to have you in hard places, difficult places. Well, the strength that you will have in those moments is his love for you. Uh, it's why you're, you're safe enough to do hard things uh, and love people in hard places, because you're safe in God's love. Uh, it also means that you're, he's going to have that same committed uh, presence with you through his spirit to help you in those hard places and give you, give you strength. He'll never leave you alone. You're his child. Uh, right? So his love, your hope, but then also your motivation and your strength to love others. So now we're ready to think about walking in that love. And it really is the, the one flowing out into the other. Right? Walk in love as Christ loved us. As beloved children, imitate God. So you could go back to the same list we just went through in a lot of detail and start to think, okay, now I'm going to mimic this. I'm going to depend upon God to, to help me do it, but I'm going to try to try to mimic this. So who are we to love? Well, we go back to God. He loves even his enemies. 
And so Christ says to us as his disciples, yeah, we're, we're not just to love those who love us. Right? Remember, he makes that point. He says, even the Gentiles know how to do that. Right? Even the, the worst of the worst uh, in this world who don't believe in God at all, even they know how to love people that love us, that love them. Um, so so that, that kind of love, loving those who love you, is not especially impressive. That's not God imitating love in, in the truest sense. That's not fruit of the Spirit love. No, where it really comes in is where we, as sons of our Father, where we love those who don't love us, even our enemies. Even that person you're tempted to think, okay, yeah, I'll love others. Yeah, but not them. Do you, do you have anybody on your not them list? Yeah, 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 sure, absolutely. I'm supposed to love other people. Yeah, but there's a few exceptions, and she's one of them. He's one of them. And God says, love your enemies and be sons of your Father in heaven. And then you start to think, okay, well, what does that love look like? Again, we copy God. We imitate him. Uh, and so it's called to be a, a great love. Not just tiny little random acts of kindness, but a, but a great, consistent, but also sometimes dramatic uh, love for others. Uh, it's a love that is to be lived out in action. Right? Not just something you, you say, oh yeah, I, I love you. Uh, or you think in your head, I love them. But, but you can actually start to see it. You can see, because that's how uh, God loves us. We can see his love. He acts it out. Uh, and so we look for opportunities to act in love, to serve, to minister, to build up that brother, that sister, that neighbor, that enemy. Yeah. And acting love, of course, that flows right into a sacrificial love. And here, sacrificial love, not in the sense of uh, atoning for sin, only Christ does that, but in the sense of laying down your life. Costly love? Well, that's exactly the language that Scripture uses. Um, here's, here's 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He laid down his life for us, his sacrifice on the cross, and so then that flows out, and so we're to lay down our lives for others. So our love for other people is going to have this costly, laying down our lives quality. It's, it's also good to remember that when Christ laid down his life, he really laid down his life like it was really death. And so for us in loving others, our love for them should, if we're doing it Christ-like, it should have this kind of death-like quality to it. That if, that if there's no death-like quality to our love, we we're not exactly imitating Christ in, in fullness. That's, that's a challenge. That's, that's hard. It, it also it, it challenges our natural tendencies, which, which tend to be, uh, if, if something is hard, maybe we should go in another direction. Because right? the truth is, when it comes to love, you, you can't do everything. It's just how God made the world. We're finite. So you can't love every single person in action and sacrifice at the exact same time. You just can't possibly do it. So there's always going to be this wisdom. Here, you know, this opportunity, that opportunity. How do I know? And you're going to need lots of wisdom, prayer, seeking the Lord. Um, but 
but here's, here's one thing that, that should challenge us in that decision-making process. A lot of times we tend to think uh, that as we're looking at the different opportunities in life, that if we see something and, ooh, this looks hard, this looks inconvenient, uh, this looks costly, we tend to assume that means look somewhere else. Not necessarily, right? Because, because Christ-like love is a laying down your life love. Uh, it doesn't mean automatically you do every hard thing, but it, also do, it, also mean, it certainly means you don't avoid every hard thing uh, because Christ-like love means laying down your life. In that family way, right, of family love, right, where just like God doesn't love us from a distance, uh, to shoot us the nice donation. So we're to love others in that in that way, up close, personal, and especially within the body of Christ, which is how uh, John, John, and well, the Gospel of John, First John, and Paul here in Ephesians says this is really where our love begins. Uh, the first place we apply it uh, is within the body of Christ, and and we treat each other like family, because God says we are. He's brought us into his family, and therefore, you and I are brothers and sisters. And, and we treat each other accordingly. We can't just write each other off. We can't just, you know, nap, done, because, well, family. Family. And, and finally, our love for others should have this holy agenda quality to it. Uh, right? That's what we said, God's love for us. That's uh, better than unconditional. God has this, this plan to not leave us stuck where we are, uh, but to, to bring us to something better and more beautiful. And that's, that's the way our love for others is to look, right? Reflecting not our agenda for people, but God's agenda for people. <laughs> and this really gets at a very critical question, and maybe you're asking it, or have asked it. It's a good question, which is, if I love in this really radical way, this loving my enemies, loving sacrificially, uh, doesn't that end up turning me into a doormat? Where people just walk all over me because I'm just laying down my life. Uh, I'm just loving the worst of the worst, and it means people just walk all over me. Is this... Even push it further. Is this essentially Jesus writing a recipe for abuse? Well, here's the point that challenges that, and it says, no, no, no. Uh, it's because real biblical Jesus love uh, is this God-holy agenda love. Uh, it means our love for others is not giving people whatever they want. It's thinking, how do I love you? Yes, sacrificially, yes, even if you're an enemy, but only according to God's holy plan for their life. And, and so sometimes that's going to mean not loving people or not giving people what they think they want, and that that's the most loving thing we can do. Uh, instinctively, we know this as parents to children, right? It just makes sense there especially, right? So our kids might love the idea of us loving them uh, by just giving them video games and candy 24-7. Uh, but the most loving thing we can do is say, no. 
Sometimes that's actually the hardest thing, is to say no to your kids for something they really want. Uh, and you don't do it, you don't do it capriciously. If you're a good, good parent, you don't do it and just to uh, assert your authority. You're thinking, uh, God has a plan for your life, and it's bigger than video games and candy, so I'm going to say no at certain times and to certain things. Uh, we, we get that as, as parents to children. Well, it's the same way in other relationships. Right? Slightly different, a different dynamic, but... Uh, but there might be someone, uh, and especially that gets into someone who's more hostily against you, an enemy, and, and they might, in, in their interaction with you, uh, be, be pushing you to give something that's just not according to God's holy plan, right? It's not helpful to them, and it's not helpful to the world around them. And so some of the, one of the best and most loving things for you to do is say, no. Uh, or or to, to, to take a sin that they're encouraging you to, to keep hidden and under wraps and say, no, the most loving thing here is to expose this sin to the light. Right? Uh, so it's not, it's not reserving love. It's actually taking love to its holier, God-like, Christ-like way. Uh, right? Loving people according to God's holy agenda, which doesn't mean just fall on the floor as a doormat. Uh, it means, yeah, being willing to sacrifice, but not sacrifice in such a way that where you just get beat up in the process. Uh, it's being willing to sacrifice in such a way that it advances God's purpose in their life. Uh, and sometimes uh, it's saying, no, I'm not going not gonna to go on that road. Uh, in fact, I'm going to expose that sin or, or challenge. You do it lovingly, you do it according to God's word, uh, but it's according to that holy plan that God has for people's life. Love is a big deal. It's, it's a consistent theme from the beginning to the end of Scripture of this is what represents and embodies God's great plan for the world and his great salvation for his people. And as those who are his people, it's to be the theme of our lives. It's to be our walk. It's to be something that's not just we do at random occasions, but the lifestyle that we walk in. But the place to focus and come back to again and again uh, is not our actions, but God's actions for us. Not our love uh, for him or for others, not the foundation. The foundation is his love for us. So we focus on it and meditate on it, even daily. His great love, his sacrificial love, uh, his saving love, uh, his, his transforming love. And the more that grips us and the more that takes a hold of us, the more it changes us. The more it gives us a, a motivation and a hunger to, to imitate it, to show it to others, to, to live it out, even in hard places and in, and in hard ways. Uh, because it's there uh, that above all shines forth God's glory and its transforming power. So let's, let's look to him uh, as, we, as we pray. Father, we do pray that you would enable your people uh, to love and to shine forth that, that powerful saving work of Christ. Uh, we do pray, Lord, that you would give us uh, the wisdom of Christ and, the, and the, the guidance of your word to do it well. Uh, Lord, we pray that most of all that we would, that we would be those uh, who know uh, and delight in what you've done for us. We, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.